The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. Uh, today, we will be talking uh, about business continuity management and uh, disaster recovery programs and business continuity programs. Uh, there's different names for it, but we'll be talking about that and different aspects of those programs. Uh, we have a wonderful guest today, someone I'm very uh, proud to know. I worked with uh, Alvaro for many uh, years. Uh, he actually hired me, it was my boss, way back when, in 2002. And we now actually work at the same company. Uh, I'm doing some contract work, and I'll let Alvaro introduce what he's doing. I won't mention the name of the company because I don't want anyone to think that we're endorsing or speaking for that company. We're not. We're just speaking about business continuity and disaster recovery. But I have a great pleasure of someone who has a long background in business continuity and some other interesting uh, fields that uh, I know he's worked in. So without ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Alvaro Orangia. Alvaro, how are you today? Hi, Alex. Very well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your program. Very happy to be here and joining you. I'm excited to have you here. Um, for anyone who might not know, uh, Alvaro was actually interviewed for my first book, Heads in the Sand. He's quoted throughout the book. So uh, it's nice to uh, have you back again and be able to uh, listen to your input and feedback on business continuity. Thank you, Alex. So I'd like... I'd like to get started on things. I know um, I just want to um, be cognizant of your time. I know that you may have to drop off because I know you're in transit right now. You're you're joining us. So um, we'll, we'll just go full speed ahead. And if you have to uh, drop off, that's okay. Thank you. So, We're just honoring the, the unexpected sometimes. So thank you for that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how about um, I turn the microphone over to you and you talk about um, your background and what you do and what you're doing now and what you've done in the past and, you know, talk about yourself for, for a little bit here. So we get an idea of where you're coming from. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. I'm, I'm born and raised in Colombia, South America, in Bogota, Colombia, to be specific. I am an engineer, a systems engineer, uh, also specialized in computing and, and networking, and I have an MBA degree and a few designations uh, in related areas around uh, uh, business continuity uh, and information security as well and, and uh, risk management uh, hopefully coming soon. Um, I've been uh, working on the disaster recovery and business continuity and, and also information security fields uh, for about 20 years or so. 
Um, so it's given me quite a, quite a lot of uh, insights into uh, uh, the, the people side of things and the organizational side of things as well. And, and I think it is a very interesting uh, area, a very interesting field. I've done uh, work uh, for a um, construction company in the past in hospitality as well, um, um, logistics, um, third-party service providers like payroll processing companies. Uh, I've done some consulting as well. Uh, I work for uh, technology organizations and, and for financial institutions. So it, uh, it's a little bit of uh, work on different aspects and different uh, industries as well. And it's interesting just uh, to, to see as well how, how can this discipline can add value to the different organizations. Uh, and throughout the time in, uh, in doing this, I've seen some events and some issues really that have happened. And through a good planning, we've been able to, to reduce impacts to organizations and, of course, uh, to the clients of those organizations. Oh, wonderful! And um, you're you've now been captured in print. I know you were interviewed uh, had a uh, in, uh, what was it an article in a security magazine. You're quoted in my book, and now you're on the radio. So uh, you, you're uh, really getting yourself out there as well. There. Thank you so much. All, all I can do, in essence, just to bring awareness and just to help people just understand a little bit more the benefits of uh, business continuity planning, good information security practices, and disaster recovery planning, all that is good as well, yes. Well, you touched on a, a good point here. You said uh, business continuity and, and value. Um, what, what do you mean by bringing value to organizations? So I, I think it is important that uh, that organizations acknowledge that there's a lot of unknowns on the regular day-to-day on the way of doing business, right? And there's many disruptors of, of business in this case. Uh, if not well managed, uh, business can experience significant losses. And, and by managing them, it means understanding the different risks, or in some cases they're called threats, or say the likelihood of occurrence of those threats, really, and making provisions how to uh, mitigate them, uh, among other strategies to manage risk. And one of those mitigating activities Activities include uh, trying to plan in, a, in advance and put together uh, business continuity plans, uh, which means essentially what do we do if uh, any of our critical business processes is interrupted, right? And, and also the other thing I want to add as well is not only organizations, but it many, many times at a personal level, a little mini slash personal business continuity plan also adds value to, to the person itself, yes. Kind of like um, evacuation plans uh, at home. You know, and um, what uh, you always hear from a lot of the financial experts, if you have a, you know, you lose your job, you'll try and have, you know, a month or two of uh, uh, finances in play to keep yourself going, like those kind of contingencies, right? Exactly. So I think in the spectrum of the business continuity life cycle, I would say the emergency management part is is safety, right? It's evacuation and saving lives and protecting either employees or, or the, the well-being of your loved ones, right? But, but in terms of business continuities, once, once the emergency management part is out of the way, uh, essentially, what do we do as an organization or persons in this case to continue uh, doing business, continue to, to do what we do? So if we're looking at an organization, for example, um, what are critical functions? Let's say, for example, is going to be sales or is going to be procurement, right? So what do we do to continue to conduct those functions? And also on a personal level as well, say we have our computers and we work from home, so what do we do to protect our valuable data, maybe our tax records or our personal documents also, in addition just to saving the lives of our beloved ones. So those elements invite people to think organizationally and personally as well as to what to do to, to be uh, better in this case and add value to, in this case, the well-being of the organization and their clients or the well-being of themselves and their families. 
So you can use that kind of an aspect, especially from the organizational perspective, as a selling feature. If you're going up against a another you know, a bidder for a contract, if you've got a good uh, recovery strategy in place, you can use that as a selling feature, right? Uh, and actually, more it's a very good point. More than a selling feature, sometimes it's actually a requirement. But it, I lived through it uh, through experience. Uh, a few years ago, um, I was working for a third-party service provider. Actually, you and I were working for them. We went through a couple <laughs> of uh, very, very interesting events. One was uh, SARS, and another one was the famous uh, 2003 Ontario blackout. And when that happened, um, we actually excelled because uh, that third-party service provider didn't miss a single uh, file to be processed for their clients, right? And, and we started advertising that. Our clients noticed how well-prepared we were. And very soon, um, in my team, we were joining the sales force to go and talk to our clients or prospects at that point and tell them about the kind of provisions we had in place to make sure that their files would always be processed no matter what. I remember that. We, I think that's when we created that client briefing document, I think we called it, or business continuity client information document, which we handed out to the salespeople and they used. I remember that. Exactly. Great memory. Yes. Yeah. I also remember the day of the blackout. I had, le- I had just left the office and was in by the lakeshore in downtown Toronto. Traffic was very slow. All, the, uh, all the, the traffic lights were out, and I didn't know what was going on because I had the stereo going in the car. And you sent me a text saying, hey, what's, uh, what's happening? What are you seeing? And that's how I found out there was an actual blackout going on <laughs> when you kind yes. of contacted me. <laughs> yes, uh, you exactly, met- yes. Uh, mm-hmm. As a side note, when that was happening, uh, I, was, I was at work. And I left work uh, after 11 p.m., and it was all dark. I didn't realize the magnitude of that blackout until I could not find my car, which was black. I couldn't find it in the dark. I just happened to hit, hit it by coincidence, right? But I couldn't find it. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned a few terms, disaster recovery, business continuity, and, you know, I've said business continuity management. In your views, what, are the, what do those terms really mean? You know, or what do you believe people think they mean? You know, what, what's your perspective of BCM, DR, BCP? Yeah, so I, I think those those terms, um, uh, if you look at them word by word, really, they, they would tend to mean the same. But in the industry, they have, in fact, different meanings. So those, those terms, essentially, when we're talking about business continuity, it is, it is the business. It, it means that it is an analysis of business functions, understanding of how critical they are in making provisions, really, on, on four key items. One is the loss of a facility the loss of a personnel or critical personnel, the loss of a third party, or the loss of technology. So we make provisions around those four types of losses, right? What will happen if we lose facility, people, and so on and so forth. And then disaster recovery, although I guess word by word it would be very similar, in this industry disaster recovery is more understood as the loss of technology. So we've lost technology through a massive, say, data center outage, right? Or could be through a certain um, information security issue like cyberware, sorry, like ransomware. So in those cases, what does the technology team need to do to restore those critical technology services? Okay. And how do, um, I, I'm sure you've experienced it because I know I have, where it's the technology group and the business group always, well, I shouldn't say always, but quite often seem to work in a silo and don't 
seem to connect. Can you comment on that? Like the the disaster recovery plans and the business continuity and how everything should, (laughs) in a perfect world, Mm -hmm. mesh. They should be able to talk to each other. Can you comment on that? And you're absolutely right. So, so they, they work in silos many times. There's more and more uh, over time. I've seen more integration between business and technology. And I, I cannot think today of any business process that doesn't really use technology. Maybe 20 years ago, there were several, but today pretty much everything integrates technology. But that being said, um, it is important that through, through that technology loss scenario in business continuity planning, business understands first what, what they can do or they, what they could do if technology is not available. So that's what we call also in, in this industry workaround. So uh, a very uh, simple example uh, is we don't have emails, so people may resort to making phone calls or to using uh, faxing, which is really an older technology right now. But we, we can just go around the lack of email. But by the same token, the business needs to say, these are my expectations in terms of uh, email recoverability. I can live without email for four hours, let's say. And after those four hours, it's going to be way too unmanageable for my business, and I'm going to start experiencing significant losses. So those losses or those significant losses are, are, should be taken into account by the technology team in conjunction with the business to design a solution that will allow the technologists, in this case, to restore that email system or any other critical system for that matter uh, within that, uh, that accessible or that required time frame for the business. So that means there's a lot of discussion back and forth between the business and technology. And essentially, the business will end up uh, supporting, I guess, that solution and, and funding that solution because it's going to be uh, implemented to satisfy those business requirements. You touched on a great point. So the two have to be in alignment. And if if after the business does their um, identification of key processes and when they want them and what they need to be able to keep them going, and IT does their current state assessment and the two don't align, then there's got to be some negotiation between the two. Absolutely, and and that's what I what I call like the true risk management. So so IT may be saying if you want that email system to be running and available in four hours, you're going to pay this much, or you need to pay this much, and the system may be saying, wow. It's too much. So there's going to be a negotiation, and that's really, to a certain extent, the business is going to accept the risk of not having the email system in four hours, maybe let's say six hours if it's going to cost less. And, and also IT is going to establish that commitment of restoring that system within six hours. So there's a bit of back and forth and negotiation, and the end result really is is risk assessment and a bit of risk mitigation as well. And, and overall, the process is what I would call risk management, which is understanding the risk, understanding the likelihood of occurrence of that risk, and deciding on one or several strategies to, to manage that risk, which would be acceptance, would be mitigation, would be transfer, could be avoidance. Right. So the two the two have to um, talk back and forward because if business you know holds um, steady and firm, saying no, this is what I want, and IT is way out in left field, you know, with what their current capabilities, then it's well, you got to cuff up some money, you know, <laughs> if that's what you want, this is what we got to do, and you know, here's our action plan to do that. You know, that's you have to get what I like to call an agree to strategy. It's not just determined by one side. Absolutely, absolutely, is is a joint effort by business and by IT. Yes. Uh, great. And um, you also mentioned something about business continuity plans. Can you just be a little bit, um, give us a little high level overview of business continuity plans? Because 
that there's some piece you you linked that with you know the the people places and things you know and suppliers you know with continuity plans so what kind of things would be in there in those those plans that companies or you know develop so so as i mentioned before the business continuity plans have like four main components in in, in my view which would be uh, third party loss personal loss technology loss in in uh, in facility loss right so when when that happens as well, uh, each one of those components would need to be integrated by a set of steps, and that I would call them, let's say, the recovery steps, which essentially outlines what do I need to do step by step to recover from either of those losses. So, for for example, if one of those scenarios really is a facility loss, um, regardless of why, um, simply the business continuity plans assume there's been a loss. So there's been a facility loss. So those those components indicate, okay, in the facility. X is lost, uh, my personnel, my staff working in this facility will need to go, part of them will need to go to facility A and the other part will go to facility B. And it, it, it just has all the steps necessary for people to know exactly what to do in that case. Similarly, if there's a third-party loss, so what would happen in this case in terms of workarounds or potentially engaging another third party or having a pre-established agreement with a secondary third party to continue processing? Similar for technology and also similar for people. So in the case of people, for example, you're looking at having people split in different facilities in case you have people lost or or due to a pandemic typically or through a strike, or you have uh, uh, provisions to cross-train people on a regular basis. So those elements may establish as well through the business continuity plans those steps that need to be taken to, for example, have a bit of a handover from one person to another in case there's going to be a personal loss, right? Or, as I said, any of the other types of losses. So those are necessary step-by-step procedures that need to be understood, uh, need to be in place, and need to be rehearsed on a regular basis just to make sure that they remain relevant and they remain effective as well. Okay, on that note, we're going to take a break and I'm going to come back to that rehearsal topic you just brought up. That's a perfect segue to the next uh, section. Uh, You're listening to Preparing for the Unexpected. We'll be right back with our guest this week, Alvaro Arantia. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Our guest this week, Alvaro Arantia. We've been talking about business continuity, risk management, and continuity plans, and um, a lot of other things. Before we went away on break, Alvaro brought up a great point about rehearsals. So I think he's talking about how we test and exercise. Would that be correct, Alvaro? Yes, that's correct. Exactly. Yes. So, in how you mentioned all these different aspects with you know, people and facility recovery, and you know, documenting all these recovery strategies and contingency strategies, and the rehearsals behind them. What exactly do you mean by rehearsing these? You know, what what does that involve? Well, that involves really a simulation of what would be happening, and there's different ways of doing it. The analogy I try to, to, to state really is if you have an orchestra, for example, and you have all the different instruments playing uh, in silos, how are you going to make sure that they actually can play together, right? So there's, when something like this happens, like a business disruption happens, really, we need to make sure that all the different moving parts actually can play together, right? It can work together. And, and how do we know if this happens? Is we just simulate that a certain disruption has happened and the different ways of doing it. Uh, a very controlled way, for example, is uh, like all the different uh, stakeholders of a certain business continuity plan or set of business continuity plans, for example. They go to a room and they simulate it in a, very, in a closed and a controlled environment. So they go through the components of the business continuity plans. They might choose to review one of the four scenarios or all of them or a couple of them, right? And by going through them, they make sure that they all understand what the step-by-step uh, activities mean, really, and they all uh, clarify any questions. They probably update them just to make sure that it's clear to everyone and the clarifications have, have been implemented. Uh, but also make sure that nothing is missing. Uh, then the, the, the other extreme really is is let's, let's assume it really happened. So one day we actually tell everyone, you know what? You cannot come into this facility, for example. What would you do? So in that case, people should know exactly what to do, should uh, take their business continuity plans and open them in the right place and go through those steps and actually use, let's say, another facility for that matter. So those different simulations help uh, business and technology, if it is that disaster recovery plans, help them understand really if those provisions are valid and not effective. Organizations change. And, and through those simulations, you get to understand as well if those changes have not been reflected in the business continuity plans and, of course, those plans need to be updated on a regular basis as well. 
so the these tests or the these validation uh, exercises they you're kind of ensuring that all the touch points let's say between the finance group and sales you know it's there if someone's expecting something from another group you know the these these tests make sure that oh yeah when we get to this point so and so takes over you know and you're you're finding those gaps correct Exactly, exactly. So, so if the finance team, for example, they go to facility A and the sales team goes to facility B and they happen to be in the, in the same building before that disruption, so how are they going to know when one is going to another one, how to contact them sometimes, uh, what are the new phone numbers, for example, what is the protocol in this case, right? What kind of invoices, let's say, are not going to be processed right away? What kind of invoices are going to be given priority? So all those things are important to clarify, let's say, in, in planning mode, first and then in simulation mode uh, later on. And similar goes for technology as well. So as well, when, when that happens, there's many applications and a lot of infrastructure that needs to be reviewed. So which applications are going to be restored when and at what location? And, and just to make sure that the business understands the recovery priorities and how are we going to communicate the status of those restoration activities? And I don't mean necessarily IT, but also mean a business. How do we communicate that to all the different stakeholders to make sure that we'll, we'll understand where we are? And if there's any deviations as well, how do we just make sure that we correct those deviations as quickly as possible? Right. So you mentioned two different kinds of tests, the the tabletop or, or you also refer to sometimes as the walkthrough right to the full simulation exercise. Are there any other kinds of tests that might be of value to, um, you know, you, uh, how do we say this, um, the, the other tests that might be of value that organizations can use to help, you know, not be so disruptive? You know, uh, you know yes. like you said, the big simulation exercise, well, you know, or the just announcement we're in disaster mode, can, that can be pretty impactful. So are yeah. there other yeah, ways that people can yeah. do that? And the overall premise really is that business continuity planning and disaster recovery planning in, in the actual simulations should not disrupt the business. Right. Obviously, if there's a business disruption, it's a good opportunity to analyze what can be improved, but that's a different situation. When there's a simulation uh, to minimize business disruption, of course, the lowest uh, impact on the business would be like a tabletop. But by the same token, the tabletop simulation provides limited value. And the extreme uh, that I mentioned before provides the most value. So what to pick in between? So we need to look at the different... Uh, restoration process, for lack of a better term, or the business continuity process in that case. So when something happens, and let's assume that people have been evacuated and are safe, uh, what what do we do? So we typically try to, to contact people. So one other type of uh, simulation is contacting people. So that really, if people are in their desk, for example, if they get a phone call, it's not really going to disrupt their lives. Uh, so that will also prove that the contact information we have uh, is valid. And sometimes it's a contact hierarchy. So if we're contacting hundreds of people, likely there's not going to be one person calling them all. Probably it's going to be like a call tree. So that proves the call tree works, right? And also, when it comes to failing over to alternate locations, you may not want to fail over an entire organization with thousands of people, but might maybe just subset of the organization. And typically, those subsets are determined by the organizational hierarchy. So it's just one business unit here, one business unit there. So you do it in a very controlled basis and non-disrupted basis as well. So you kind of build up from that tabletop walkthrough uh, to testing all the uh, various different components that make up your entire program to hopefully get to the stage where you can say, 
we're in disaster mode. Go to it. Correct. Correct. And when, when you build it up, you build it up in terms of the simulation to, to a, a lot of meaningful components, right? Uh, unlikely, especially in large organizations, you are going to be simulating the entire organization because that would be too disruptive. But then there comes the assumption that if those meaningful components, which is really a reasonable size, uh, work, then the entire um, uh, organization would work in terms of a disruption. And that's a safe assumption, and that's part of risk acceptance. So I accept the risk as an organization in this case, of not simulating the entire organization because that's really going to disrupt it if I do. And I accept it because I have already simulated components of reasonable size that if when I put them together, maybe the whole thing is going to work. Ah, Now, I'm going to touch on something else with testing because Alvaro and I actually worked together on a couple of these very large simulation exercises, which I'm sure you remember, you know, our 72 hours at at a disaster site, which I you know, scream and holler that I never fell asleep, but Alvaro took a picture when I was. So, <laughs> um, how? What's your viewpoint on how do you manage these tests? You know, is there should there be some focus on you know planning for the test rather than testing the plan? At some point, should you know the the planning reduce and you know the test expand? You know, how how do you manage and put the governance around these tests to know that you actually did what you said you did and you got the results you wanted? Or identified the things you didn't want. Yeah. So, so first and foremost, I think the people say that there are no failed tests. I think there's only one type of failed test, which is the test that couldn't be conducted. Really. Um, so, for, for from that perspective, yes, you 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 plan the test and you test the plan. So, for example, if we're going to uh, plan a fa- facility failover from a personal perspective, we just need to, just to make sure that the, that the facility uh, is ready for people to go to that facility and, and actually work, let's say, half a day from that facility. If not, if, for example, the doors are locked or the phones don't work, what's the point, right? So we need to mm-hmm. make sure that that facility is ready. From an IT perspective as well, we just need to make sure that there are provisions, uh, for example, so, so when we fail over the different IT components, um, the failover location or the failover environment, better said, is not going to disrupt the production environment. So those things need to be planned in advance, so we just make sure that we don't cause any more significant disruption to the business. And then once that test planning is in place, then we just go ahead and in, in test the actual plan. Right, so in that right. case, we just go through the plan and make sure that whatever we're doing, uh, either from a BCM or DR perspective, uh, is following the plans. But it, but if it isn't, uh, we we track those deviations as well, and we just after the exercise, we just make note of them. I mean, and we just go through them and make sure that those were valid deviations because uh, of uh, the uniqueness of the exercise, or because actually they mean a change in the recovery activities, whatever they are. Again, business or technology. And that would trigger a subsequent review and update of a different uh, recovery plans. That's that's perfect. The valid deviations, so you could identify. You know, this this moves to our next topic. Actually, the maintenance. You know how you maintain these plans because you you from tests, you you have your your objectives. This is what we're we're planning on doing. You you do what you need to do by following the plans. And then as you go through that, you're identifying things that worked and things that didn't work. And then you go back and update your plans and potentially retest um, somewhere down the road or incorporate those into another test, you know, building, like you said before, upon the, the test that came before it. So that, that you're, you're maintaining them, right? Because 
I, I think maintenance of these these plans uh, is important. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And, and before we go into maintenance, I want to clarify one more thing as well, because you asked before about the governance of the exercise. So, so there, mm-hmm. there's got to be also a way of tracking all those deviations and make sure that uh, that the exercise results are tracked. So one thing is just to make sure that the plans are updated based on the exercise, but also that we know if a certain uh, business unit or certain application, for example, did not fail over as planned. So we track what what failed, quote-unquote, the exercise from a recoverability perspective, what was far or was close from the recovery time objectives for either the business or for technology. So there's a governance component in well, as well that just consolidates all the results of those exercises and just gives us a good status of where we stand and how, how mature the organization is or how ready the organization is from a recovery perspective, right? And if I might not just jump into, into maintenance, so, so the updates associated with a simulation are part of that maintenance too. But in a general a rule of thumb is, is disaster recovery plans and business continuity plans would need to be maintained or reviewed, better said, uh, when there's one or two things happening. One is time-based. So say every year typically we're saying it's this reasonable time. Uh, just take a look at those plans. Uh, we think that in the, in the course of a year, people and organizations have changed, so it's worth having a look at those plans and making sure that they still remain uh, um, effective and, and, and relevant. And, and the other trigger really is, is change base. So if it is a significant change, and significant is, is a loose term, each organization needs to define um, uh, what is significant in this case. If there's a significant change, then that should trigger a review of the different plans that are in place. So that kind of ties back to um, the subject that's coming up this Thursday um, or uh, the project management, program management uh, topic that we had, that often you have these plans with all these processes in place, you put your disaster recovery or business continuity strategy in place, and then there's a project in the background that's changing everything (laughs) on you. So when you're actually doing your test and reviewing your plans, it's actually not in alignment with what is now happening. So yes. uh, do you think that, you know, there should be some tie between project and program management with, you know, um, BCP and DRP plans, like a business impact analysis? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, definitely. So, so business continuity and disaster recovery planning um, should not be conducted in isolation with the rest of the organization, right? So whenever there's, uh, there's new developments, uh, 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 typically, organizations have a project management methodology, um, whether it's informal or whether it's formal, but there should be one. In, 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 from that perspective, the project management uh, staff, put it this way, they need to be aware of the existence of the business continuity planning uh, uh, program and the disaster recovery planning program for them to incorporate proactively any, any impacts on them. So if there's going to be, for example, a new line of uh, uh, products, right, so in, in uh, different uh, business unit is going to be created or acquired, that needs to be taken into consideration from a business continuity planning perspective. But it's also there's going to be uh, a new application or significant changes of the application, and they are triggered through the project management office or the IT project management office. Same thing. So there needs to be a, as well as an understanding and an assessment of those changes and an association to the disaster recovery program for those changes to be taken into consideration as well. And now the, the other set of things is change management. So, 
So from an IT change management perspective, too, components in the IT infrastructure and the applications an organization has, they change. For a similar thing, organizations change. There's different requirements, different information that needs to be tracked, sometimes for marketing, sometimes for regulatory purposes. And those elements, when they are changed, they need to be taken into account for someone to say, this is significant enough for a revision of the DR plan to be uh, triggered, or no, this is not significant enough. So there's got to be significant integration as well uh, between those disciplines. So it's embedding. This is embedding, you know, the the business continuity disaster recovery methodology into the overall uh, corporate awareness to make sure that you know what the program delivers is, you know, reflects what the corporation is doing. Totally. Yeah. At, the, at the end of the day, really, uh, the the programs around risk management and business continuity and disaster recovery are not an exception. Uh, they are as good as their people are aware. So we need to do a lot of emphasis on people awareness for them to just raise a flag and say, hey, this is important to take into consideration. Let's make sure that we are still uh, going to be uh, uh, as prepared as we were before. Yes. Well, I think we'll have to make uh, awareness and training uh, a topic all on its own one day uh, for the show. I think that would be a great one to touch on. So based on uh, that, we're going to take a break. And we'll be right back with our guest this week, Alvaro Arantia, and you're listening to Preparing for the Unexpected. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Our guest today, Alvaro Arantia, we've been talking about uh, business continuity management. And now we're going to look at you know, um, program expectations, the expectations of employees and customers, you know, our partners, the people we, you know, our communities, the people we deal with, you know, even our contractors that come in, you know, and, and expectations of, you know, um, senior executives even of what they're expecting. Alvaro, what, what what are your thoughts on, you know, um, the expectations, 
you know, when it comes to the business continuity and disaster recovery programs? So, so thank you, Alex. So I think um, the, the, by virtue of establishing a disaster recovery program and a business continuity program, that opens the door to, to clarifying expectations. And of course, that's, uh, in my view, one of the main objectives of awareness as well. At a higher level, and there's, of course, more detailed uh, expectations review and agreement uh, when you just get into the actual simulation. I think employees in general, they need to be aware of the existence of a business continuity program, of course, emergency management program, and, and disaster recovery. They need to be an understanding that there's one. And specifically, there are, there are requirements for, for employees at large. For example, uh, sometimes when you go into an office, uh, they tell you where the exit signs in. So, so your, your duty, I guess, as an employee is to know where they are. Sometimes when you're traveling in an airplane, you need to understand and you need to know where the exits are, where the emergency exits are, in, 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 in some cases, how to operate. And so similar in the case of, uh, of a corporation or, or a personal um, uh, case as well. So you need to understand what you are expected to do as an employee in terms of evacuation and also in terms of uh, your role in business continuity planning. So if you are, for example, responsible or participate in a critical business function, what is your role when, when that business function is interrupted, right? Or if you happen to have operational responsibilities on certain information systems, what is your role when it comes to restoring those information systems when a disaster occurs? So it is important to establish those in the business continuity plans or disaster recovery plans and to confirm them uh, through simulation and, of course, to emphasize them through awareness. Well, one, one thing I always like to uh, tell people, I said, uh, is if you're not actually a part of some crisis team or disaster recovery team or business continuity team or emergency response team, you know, wh- whichever team you want to put, you still have a role to play. And that's to sit and wait for direction. You know, don't get in the way, you know, and don't spread out misinformation on social media either. <laughs> totally. Totally, yes. Uh, Needless to say, uh, there's uh, cases when, uh, especially in large organizations, when there's the dissemination of information into social media. Um, That will happen, but also that that opens the door to to the communications uh, uh, function as to what to do to manage social media, to control social media, to monitor social media. Because one way or another... um, Somebody's going to say something. Maybe it's not going to be employees. Maybe it's going to be the competition, right? But how to address any comments coming out on social media from an, from an informational perspective also and from an official channel perspective. That's right. Yeah, I agree. So what, what expectations do you think there are when it comes to customers and partners and, you know, our communities, you know, if an organization has a, a situation, you know, what, 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 what do you think they expect of their their partners, you know, and organizations? Well, we're looking at, at third parties. Um, I think uh, also as part of the preparedness activities and business continuity planning activities, those, expect, those expectations need to be established uh, ideally in advance. So if we are engaging, for example, our third party who's going to give us office supplies, we might want to be okay without them for a while in, in case the organization uh, is experiencing a disruption or in case that third party is. But if we are uh, doing business with a third party that is going to manage, let's say, um, our email system, so it is an outsourced cloud-based email system, and that, that's deemed critical. At that point, the requirements of the third party are going to change, and we, we need to establish those requirements 
through uh, an SLA, for example, right? And we need to make sure that that third party on a regular basis gives us um, attestation that they they have um, a certain degree of preparedness to withstand disasters. And also sometimes when we conduct as an organization our own simulations, we engage those third parties to make sure that our ability to communicate and to do business with them is still in place. So it's different provisions that depend also largely on the criticality associated with those third parties and those, those partners. Um, and in terms of clients as well, uh, it is very important to understand how an organization communicates with clients. Sometimes, depending on an organization, it could be through social media. Sometimes it's through an online presence. Sometimes it's through a sales force. Uh, sometimes it's all of them. So by, by understanding that kind of interaction, our organization needs to make sure that those uh, moments of truth or Client contact points really uh, know what to do and how to address client concerns when when a situation like that, the job situation occurs, and that needs to be done in, in uh, as part of the simulation, as part of the planning as well, and also with with the assistance of a specialized communications uh, department. I think that's a good point because a lot of times you know we have partners or, or uh, suppliers that we work with that you know depend on us to send them something. You know, they may receive a file, let's say, at noon every day, and all of a sudden our company has a disaster. Well, now they're not getting that file, and it actually impacts them. They can't do anything. It's like, we need that file. We need that file. So, And unfortunately, sometimes there's a uh, an assumption in place, oh, the company with the disaster has a way of giving us that file. And that's not necessarily the case. And I like your point about involving these people in our, our various tests, tests and exercises. I think that's really good. That is absolutely correct. And in fact, when we experienced that blackout in our organization, we knew exactly which files to expect. And we proactively call our clients and we told them, hey, we're expecting those files. Are you able to send them? And sometimes some of the clients said no. And we proposed options. We said, okay, we can use uh, a previous file that we have on record. Can we? And many times they said yes. And also, the, the, the other side of things is when, when a situation like that occurs, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, and an organization that is prepared uh, will manage it uh, better than an organization, an organization that is not, of course. But there's still going to be items that are going to be unknowns. And that opens the door to a lot of creativity. And going back to the original point, we talked about a value add. So it is value add to practically reach to our client, to those clients and saying, we, we have here a, we're expecting a file from you. And it's also value add to say, you know what? We are expecting to deliver something from you, but we can't. Instead, we offer this option, which is we're going to be uh, setting up shop in this location. We're going to be um, uh, having a counter for you to pick up some items, for example. So just giving client options for them to continue to the business with that organization and that's value add. So you're not just uh, mitigating your own disaster, you're also mitigating the impact your disaster has upon others, which is, a, a, you know, as you say, a, a lot of value you know, to, to our partners. I think that's great. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. So the next one I'd like to talk about is uh, because you, at your introduction, you said uh, you have a lot of experience in business continuity and security, you know, and you've mentioned a couple of experiences. Are there any other experiences that you can talk about, you know, things that went well, things that didn't go well, and, uh, you know, the lessons learned from that, you know, the positive lessons learned and the negative lessons learned from some of your experiences? Yeah, well, I think overall, uh, from what I've seen in, the, in, in this practice, Many practitioners uh, tend to highlight uh, disasters, situations that have happened around the world 
that are bad, right? And, and that's to say disasters exist, and that, that's very valid, right? What, what I like to, to, to see more and more is situations that have gone well. Um, just to give you an example, in my home country, uh, a few years ago, we had a situation where a, a set of uh, towers uh, were built by a developer, right? And one of the city inspectors uh, noticed there were some cracks. So this person was convinced that uh, those, those towers needed to be evacuated. Uh, the builder was still building some additional towers in that complex. And all the time, he was denied that request. This inspector uh, did go past the mayor and went to the actual um, governor of the province, uh, to the premier or the equivalent of the premier in Canada. And, and he got a go. He got a green light to evacuate those towers. They evacuated uh, a number of families. And um, one, one week later, there was a... a a security person, it was a set of engineers from the uh, company, and a couple other uh, city officials were looking at the facility, and those towers collapsed. So in a typical uh, environment, a BCM practitioner would probably say, look, there was a building collapse. What I'm trying to say, though, is, look, there's a hundred and something families whose lives were saved because of good preparedness and convinced, a person was convinced really in, in, in this case in the need to evacuate and save families and that was the, the, what drove that person to do it. So this is the unsung hero and there's many unsung heroes in business continuity and disaster recovery planning that really need to be uh, on, um, on the spotlight in this case because they avert many significant business losses and of course uh, sometimes personal and they save many lives as well. So I think the business continuity practice should look more at those cases where the positives are really highlighted i think that's a great point you know um there's that expression you know disasters or uh anything that negative happens to you is an opportunity you know there's an opportunity there and i think you just highlighted some of that you know someone notices something and they took that opportunity to ensure that you know a hundred and something families weren't you know placed in a terrible situation you know i think that's great Exactly. Uh, and, and many times, part of the challenge that, that we face in, in, in this profession also, and that, that drives us to highlight the disaster really, is that sometimes people say, no, that's not going to happen to me. And that's, that's normal of, of human psychology, right? Now, what is important to, to keep uh, reminding people of really is that we don't know what we don't know. I think when SARS occurred, because nobody ever thought that a nurse with a couple of police officers could walk into a facility and shut it down. Uh, but when SARS happened, that was, uh, that was a reality, right? Um, also, recently, uh, um, uh, an organization I know, nobody thought ever that an, uh, a person climbing up a hydro tower uh, trying to commit suicide would make the city shut down hydro for the entire city. It's things mm-hmm. that you never could think they would occur, and they actually do. So, so more than really thinking of the specific uh, situations that could cause a disruption, uh, the invitation really for the business and, and for practitioners is just to think that anything could happen. It's just we don't know what we don't know. But instead of just focusing on, on what specifically could happen, is really focusing on what can we do about it if it happens. Right, right. Uh, good point. Are there any other experiences you'd like to uh, bring forward that, that you've, you know, gone through and exciting, exciting times you can tell us about without maybe giving away the name of any, you know, company just in case, you know, but any other instances that, uh, you know, disasters or emergency situations that you've gone through? 
Well, there's one that I that I saw actually on on the side a little bit that was interesting. I was not really their practitioner, but I had a chance to observe it relatively close. It was a a, a company in the food industry, and they had an issue uh, with some infected food. Uh, not only they had to recall their product, but uh, several people died. Right in. In, in parallel, another company had a similar situation. So this first company, uh, their CEO was very visible. Uh, the CEO used uh, social media and, and simply said, we did it. We, we made a mistake. We failed you. And we have done, we're doing this much to prevent this from happening again. That company went through an investigation uh, by the authorities. And very quickly, they, they were back in business. Their plant, of course, was shut down during the investigation, so that meant losses. But they quickly went back in business. Their stock went down when, the, when this uh, incident happened, but bounced back up in a matter of uh, two and a half months, three months, right? This sort of company that I was referring to, they happened to have that situation, but they were silent. They did nothing. They were trying to hide from the press. Uh, they were not that cooperative with the organizations, with the authorities, I mean. And they, they ended up just being out of business for quite a long time. And in fact, after the fact, they were bought by a third party. So there's different situations, uh, actually similar situations, if I might say, managed very different, but with very different outcomes as well. So that was uh, one, one example that was worth noting. Yeah, I think I know the two uh, companies you're talking about, too, if I recall the 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 one company that uh, admitted to um, you know making a mistake or or being the cause of the the problem, um, I think they had television commercials out there and radio commercials and magazine newspaper things where they they carried that message. It was us and we're fixing this, if I recall correctly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Great. Um, so overall, with you know, individuals or corporations, what do you think are some of the key things, um, you know, maybe just a couple of items that you believe organizations and people should really know about business continuity management? You know, some of the key tips. Uh, some of the key tips of a business continuity plan uh, management, I, I would think uh, from a personal basis, also just think think of your house really in, in an evacuation plan for your house, right? So where would your kids go? Where would you go? What would you like to protect, right? And what is most valuable to you? Uh, from an organizational perspective also, uh, think of your crown jewels, right? So what are those uh, functions that are quite critical? So conduct a bit of a discussion with the different uh, stakeholders and, and, and owners of those functions to understand really what if what would happen if you have any of these four uh, scenarios uh, taking place right and based on that start just building a little by little a little a business continuity program in a disaster recovery program doesn't happen overnight and uh, typically it starts small but it's like snowball it just keeps growing and growing over time when people just get more buy-in and understand the value it brings and it needs a lot of persistence and it needs it needs a lot of uh, support but that, that happens uh, over time so we need to be patient from that perspective yes so a business continuity program over time it kind of never ends it it's always progressing and building you know and changing to meet the needs right exactly exactly it never ends uh, it's, it's ingrained in the organization is the way of the organization uh, operates as well and because organizations change the business continuity program needs to be uh, aligned with those changes and, and just be at the same pace of those changes or very close to it yes Great. Well, I'd like to thank you, uh, Alvaro, for your time. 
I know you had time restrictions, but I'm very uh, happy that uh, you were able to stick with us for the entire show. I uh, value your input and your commentary, and uh, thank you very much for your time. And to everyone out there, uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm Alex Fullick, and we'll talk to you next week. Stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.